This is Harold Sylvester, also known as Griff, and you are listening to the Married with Children podcast. Okay, Al, I challenge you to a duel. May the best Joker win. Let's rock. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. It's donut night here at the Nudie Bar. My name is Annabelle and my hooters are both glazed and jelly filled. Ooh, sweet and uh, messy. Ooh, sounds pretty saucy to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my name is Matt and uh, I frustratingly had my hiney superglue to a toilet seat. Sitting here recording this is an absolute agony right now. <laughs> so we are reviewing Season 10, Episode 26, The Jokes on Owl. Written by Calvin Brown Jr. and directed by our very own Amanda Burse. Original air date, May 26, 1996. And a brief synopsis, courtesy of IMDb. While Griff faces the death penalty due to a no-man prank, Al plans to get married to an old flame. That's a very succinct, brief description there. Yeah. Past IMDb's synopses have been (laughs) about half an hour long. Yes, yes. Much more to the point. Uh, Shorter than even the one I found on... uh where I think it's, I'm not sure it's Bundyology or the Married to Children wiki, but that's about six six lines long or three sentences. Special guest stars. Tim Conway as Efren Wanker, his final appearance. Gary Coleman as himself, or is he? Harold Sylvester as Griff. Dan Tullis Jr. as Officer Dan. E.E. E. Bell as Bob Rooney. Tom McClyster as Ike. Deborah Harmon as June Morgan, Mark Sellers as male detective, G. Jordan Moore as female detective, and Bert L. Cook as executioner. And that last person, Bert L. Cook, two things. One, he is a member of the Married Children staff. And two, if you've only seen this episode on DVD, for example, you might not actually see him in the episode because he appears in the end credits. We'll get to that at the end of the episode. Yes, we'll get to there then. I've got something to say about that, that's for sure. The biggest night on television is Fox's Rockin' Sunday, when Homer goes on tour with Sonic Youth, Cypress Hill, and Smashing Pumpkins. Get a front row seat for Homer Palooza on the one-hour Simpsons season finale. Then Al finds the new Mrs. Bundy. But what about the old one? Hang returns on the one-hour season finale of Married with Children. Plus, hang out with Supergroup Kiss and see how you can win some incredible prizes. It all starts Sunday at 7, 6 Central. So the title of, of this episode comes from the phrase, The Joke's on You. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, pretty straightforward. 
And the episode opens with a no man meeting. And it's very similar to say, season nine, A Man for No Seasons, and in season 10, Reverend Al. I now call this meeting of no man to order. Notice, however, Officer Dan is in his uniform. Presumably, he snuck to the meeting while he's meant to be on duty. Yes, I did like that. I think that, <laughs> I think that was a, a nice touch. He's clearly on duty, but he'd rather attend a no-man meeting. Not the first case of this in television, um, or in Cheers. You know, there's Cliff will walk into um, Cheers um, in his po- postman uniform, so presumably he could be having off-duty beers himself. Indeed. It's a little-known fact. <laughs> on duty beers, even. <laughs> so yes, we open on a no man meeting, and for and I was and I was kind of disappointed because for some reason Al does not say "focus, gentlemen, focus," and that's become a bit of a a bit of a running gag. It has one of Al's latter day catchphrases, but uh, maybe Al thought the gentlemen were focused enough. Uh, I mean, well, and amongst other things, there's one brother or gentleman of no man who is missing from this meeting. Yes, Griff, and it's his one-year anniversary as a member of No Man. In honor of Brother Griff's one-year anniversary as a member of No Man, we must now think of a practical joke to play on him. I don't remember anybody pulling a practical joke on me. Remember on the expressway when your brakes failed and you almost died? (laughs) That was us. And I mentioned A Man for No Seasons, the season nine episode, and that's when Griff was initiated, shall we speak, into No Man, back when they made him watch Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman and all that. Make the Indians kill her, please! Make the Indians kill her! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So it's been been, um, a bit over a year, but I suppose we can forgive them. Yeah, it's closer to a year than two, so we'll forgive them, because I couldn't quite remember the episode Griff became a member, because he was introduced in early season nine, which is 1994, so it could have easily been a year and a half, but uh, it's close enough to a year. This this isn't going to mark the episode down for me. No, 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 it's it's very trivial. Yeah, so to celebrate that, they're going to play a practical joke on him, and this is something we haven't really heard of before, a tradition we haven't really heard of, and... I don't think anyone in the show has because um, they start, you know, doing some exposition on how no one pulled a practical joke on them. But it's like, oh, no, we have. Remember? (laughs) So, yes, Brother Dan, it was his job to keep Griff away from tonight's meeting. So what did Dan do? Brother Dan, it was your job to keep Brother Griff away from tonight's meeting. I don't remember anybody keeping me away from any meeting. Remember when Dan accidentally shot you in the back and... (laughs) And you were hospitalized for seven weeks? That was us. (laughs) Good one, guys. So what did you do to Griff? Oh, I just had him arrested. (laughs) What's the charge? (laughs) Indecent exposure, murder, cannibalism. (laughs) Great work, Brother Dan. And that'll give us a lot of time to think of a great joke to play on him. Oh, and the Griff is arrested for some pretty serious crimes. Uh, oh, I mean, worse than probably one's money landed did earlier in this season. <laughs> oh, yes. So we've got indecent exposure, murder, and just to top it all off, a dash of cannibalism. 
Griff, don't come here down here. I'm, I don't taste very nice. So that'll give them plenty of time to play a great joke on him. <laughs> oh, definitely. Joke of the century, that's for sure. I think it's only fitting that the joke come from me, since I am the king of practical jokes. No, I'm the king. Wearing a quilted robe and sitting on a throne all day doesn't make you a king. <laughs> I say we have ten pizzas sent to Brother Griff's apartment. How does he do it? <laughs> I say that we hire a cross-dresser to pick up Griff and seduce him while we get it on tape. Oh, that doesn't compare to pizzas. So Al proclaims he is the king of practical jokes, but of course Jefferson says that no, he's the king. Yes, I mean, Al's idea of a practical joke, uh, it would work a little bit differently today, because obviously in 1996, ordering 10 pizzas would involve only using the phone. Now, you could, as long as you knew their address, you could jump online, pop in, or oh, let's see, Annabelle Miller, this street in Adelaide, blah, 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 20 pizzas, dip, 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 pay at the door, bing. Yeah, you have to usually pay prepay by credit card so they can trace you, but I bet it still happens maybe somewhere. Um, occasionally, we've had a couple of uh, Uber Eats deliveries left at our door, which we did not order, and they've just appeared on our doorstep. And there's no address, so we, we don't know who, who to give it to. We have a name and an order number. And if we don't catch the delivery person, which in both cases we haven't because the food's been waiting for us when we got home, how no one stole it, I don't know. I assume it belongs to one of the people next door and they couldn't get in with their fancy schmancy roller door that you need a code to open. Or people just don't read the numbers properly and they think okay you know one for example and i'll drop it here okay so um because you live in a um, bunch of you one of a units don't you yes ah see um i was thinking how did that happen more than once but then i i thought to myself well annabelle does live in a unit whereas i live in a detached house so it's never happened in the um when this goes to air to be coming up to Excuse me, very close to three years of me living here, so uh, it's no surprise it's never happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> as a joke, I could have something delivered to you, but no, I won't do that. Uh, I think you know where I live, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah, so I, I live in a unit, and um, in my group of units, we're the front unit, so we're quite handy for some lazy people who don't read things properly to just come along and dump some groceries or some food. Uh, the joys of living in units, the uh, the perks of them. But uh, yes, I, I, my house is too far apart. I, I live in a, a suburb, not a rural area, but it's still far apart, apart enough from my neighbours that uh, you can't really get the houses mixed up here for uh, any del delivery person. Way back in, in season one, you remember when Peggy ordered some pizzas for Steve, for Steve and Marcy? Hello, Pizza Shack. I'd like 15 of your gut bucket pizzas delivered to Marcy Rhodes. <laughs> oh, free garlic bread with every order? <laughs> no thanks, we'll pay for it. Yes. And then later in the episode, Steve comes in and he's still eating pizza. <laughs> yes, I remember that. That was all going back to me. Yep, that's in Peggy Sue Got Work in season one. Al wants 10 pizzas sent to Brother Griff's apartment. And Jefferson has a better idea. Yeah, Jefferson's idea of a practical joke is a, bit, a little bit better than Al's. Uh, it involves cross-dressing and, and having Griff seduced by said cross-dresser. 
I think the only dated thing about this is Jefferson saying cross-dresser, which nowadays I think it would be more of a drag queen, like a fabulous drag act to pick up Griff and seduce him. But I still think, yeah, that is a better joke than pizzas. So Al's right when he says that doesn't compare to pizzas. Yes, but I'm pretty sure uh, Jefferson is referring to perhaps a real-life version of Emily Howard from Little Britain, who was a really bad cross-dresser. I'm in there. So yeah, that's enough talk about pizzas, because I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Until they mention that again, yes. <laughs> I think so far Jefferson is the king of practical jokes. Sorry, Al. Guess it's obvious where we go from here. Yes, it is. You know, get the hell out of my house. Meeting is adjourned. <laughs> so Officer Dan is about to spring Jif, uh, Jif, <laughs> Griff from jail. I guess I better go spring Griff from jail. Right. It's donut night at the nudie bar. Every hooter is either glazed or jelly filled. <laughs> Griff can wait. <laughs> and it's a bit more important than uh, um, getting Griff out of jail. <laughs> yes, Griff can wait. But uh, hang on a second. Speaking of Ike, Ike has no really bad memory. He does not remember why his brakes were cut in his car. And there was another joke played on him that I can't, can't remember right now. Well, I didn't write it down. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, there were two jokes played on Ike, and he doesn't, he doesn't remember them being jokes and no, ma'am. Officer Dan accidentally shotting, shooting him in the back, and he was hospitalized for seven weeks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Ike... I mean, he's still, he's still smarter than Bob Rooney, but that's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> I challenge you to a duel. May the best Joker win. Let's rock. <laughs> May the best Joker win. And what I like about this is Al says it's classic. Let's rock. Rock. It's rock. After a hand, a buzzer handshake, and a nice pot of beer. I can't believe Jefferson fell for that, even though it was quick and and whatever. But yeah, that was ah oh, Jefferson. He's supposed to be the king. Even the even the king's gonna have a bit of a trouble on the throne. Yeah, true. It's it's that quilted robe, I think. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I just want to go a little slight tangent here. So Alan Jefferson having a practical joke duel reminded me of a show that I was used to watch um, before school um, during part of the time I first watched Married to Children, a Canadian show called Kenny vs. Spenny, which I may have talked about in this podcast before. Since the beginning of time, mankind has been forced to compete for survival. This spirit of competition has reached a pinnacle in the relationship of two best friends who battle against each other. Why? Glory for the winner. Humiliation for the loser. This is Kenny versus Spenny. That show could be described as being Jackass meets the odd couple. In that show, it w- wouldn't be practical jokes, but the, go- the two hosts, Kenny Hotz and Spencer Rice, would do um, competitions like who can film the best pornographic film, who can burp the loudest, who can um, <laughs> fart the loudest, who can um, pick up the most birds, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, it was quite um, the show back in the 2000s. Mum, if you listen to this, uh, I know it drove you nuts 14 years ago when it was your alarm clock before I went to school in year 12. Very good. As in, I used to get up at six, 
go straight to the, where the TV was, my school clothes, put it on, and mum was still in bed, so he used to wake her up. It's just reminded me of that, but that was a few years after Married of Children. Uh, I'm not familiar with that show. No, um, yeah, um, it's definitely worth at least a um, search, but like I was saying, I was a huge fan of it when I was the first, first term at a bit of year 12, so that was 14 years ago now. I feel old. This news bulletin just in, the Chicago cannibal has been arraigned for over 100 murders. The cannibal shown in this picture (laughs) says he's innocent, claiming there is no evidence. The DA responded by saying, evidence, schmevidence. Hey, bud, guess who's been arrested for eating people? Who, Tommy Lasorda? And we get the first of one of the great jokes in this episode, Griff's recurring mugshot. So the first mugshot, he looks uh, a little bit surprised. And notice he's wearing his no man shirt here. So Griff will be wearing a few different, a few different outfits. But in this first mugshot, there he, he's wearing a no man shirt and he's apparently been charged for 100 murders. Yeah, at least 100. So Griff's has been dubbed the Chicago cannibal and... <laughs> This begs the question, if there's a hundred murders and Griff is not a cannibal, so there is a Chicago cannibal, it seems, if there's been over a hundred murders. So somebody out there in Chicago is is eating a bunch of people and it's not Tommy Lasorda. It's not Griff, but (laughs) he's now been dubbed the Chicago cannibal and he, he says he's innocent, but there's no evidence. Yes, the DA basically tossed it out like they didn't care. And Luigi's written here, maybe that's a reference to Silence of the Lambs. Does that ring any bells for you at all? Uh, I'm not the most familiar with Silence of the Lambs, but given the way Mary the Children does make references to other wor- works of art, they would not surprise me if it was a reference. Kelly says, because he's been arrested for eating people, and Bud says, who, Tommy Lasorda? And that's one of those very American references, is it? Because have you, do you know who Tommy Lasorda is? No, until I watched this, or this is the fourth time I've watched this episode um, over the years after watching it previously in 2008, 2016, and um, the dreaded year of 2020. Uh, No, but I've got a little bit bit about Tommy Lasorda for you all. Uh, So, Tommy Lasorda, who was born on this 22nd of September, 1927 and passed away on the 8th of January, 2021. He was a former Major League Baseball pitcher, coach, and manager, best known for two decades of managing the LA Dodgers. In 2018, he marked his 69th season with the Brooklyn-slash-LA Dodgers organization, the longest tenure anyone has had with the team, edging Dodger broadcaster Vin Scully by three seasons. He was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame as a manager in 1997, and after Red Show and Dice 20, passed away in 2018, he was the oldest living Hall of Famer until his own passing away in early 2021. From the sounds of things, if he was British, I think he would have had a knighthood. Possibly, yeah. And I think the joke here is that um, he used to be fat, so he used to eat a lot, and he lost a lot of weight. Like you, uh, when I first saw this episode, I didn't know who Tommy Lasorda was, but it's through, again, like some references because of uh, episodes like this and references like this in Married with Children and other shows that I know who he is. And I've since heard about him more often. And when he died, I'm like, oh, that's that guy who was referenced in Married with Children. <laughs> I know he's 
not what he's known for, of course. But you can look up, uh, there are slim fast commercials with Tommy Lasorda. They're all on YouTube, of course. That was me, Tommy Lasorda, before I lost 30 pounds in three months on the ultra slim fast plan. It's even easier to have my shake because ultra slim fast comes ready to drink in cans. Losing weight has never been so convenient. Wherever I am, I can have my shake. Ah, icy cold and delicious. Who says you can't take it with you? Ultra Slim Fast. Give us a week. We'll take off the weight. Yes, and he, well, he did well. He had a pretty good life. He needs to be not, almost 94. That was, that's a good run. Good innings. Yeah, yeah. A very good innings, yes. So Bud dismisses um, the Griff situation because uh, he's got a pressing problem to do with the outgoing message on the new answering machine. And I'm like, wow, the Bundys have an answering machine. Great. Yeah. Listen, Kelly, can you please explain to me the outgoing message on our new answering machine? Hi, you've reached Kelly. Please leave a message at the tone. If you're a girl calling for Bud... Hi, Mom! (laughs) (laughs) That outgoing message, I mean, well, the thing is, Kelly, you know exactly the homeowner. You don't pay the mortgage. You don't pay the council tax. Uh, there's um, oh, your, your mum and dad still very much live there. It's you're 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 a resident, but it's not your house. So what were you thinking, Kelly? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure who bought the answering machine. Maybe Bud did because Al barely acknowledges it, and he can't afford one. So maybe Bud got an answering machine from somewhere, and <laughs> or Bud and Kelly did it. So maybe it's for them. True, but it's still the it's still the family's phone line because I can't imagine the Bundys having two separate phone lines um, unless there's a, certain episodes permit it. But I mean, I know at least one high school friend of mine, at least in the later years of high school, had his own personal home phone in his bedroom. But if, I think I'm pretty sure that was the exception rather than the rule. I mean, nowadays everyone has mobiles, but I'm pretty sure having your personal phone as a t- as a teenager or even young adult in a house was the exception. Yeah, perhaps after the butter episode, they got rid of that second phone line because it would have cost money, so it would have just expired, I suppose. Or they got rid of it. Or they or they do have a separate line now, but we'd be having a, a conversation about that separate line upstairs. Kelly just shuts butt up the way she can. So Al comes in, and he's he did, in fact, send 10 pizzas to Jefferson's house. Ah, ha, ha. Come on, now. You can do better than that. Uh, I mean, thankfully, I've never had pizza sent to my house like that before. And I don't think you will, as we said. But there is a uh, some somebody at the door of the Bundy's house. It's not pizza, but it's... Oh, my God! It's Webster! Webster! <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Al Bundy. I was sent here from Publisher Sweepstakes, and you've just won $10 million! And your mother's not here to share our joy! Could life be any better? (laughs) Urkel here just gave me $10 million! Congratulations. What are you going to do with all the money? I'm going to quit my job, burn down this house, live out my days on Hooter Island. (laughs) Well, on an occasion like this, there's only one thing to say. Gotcha! (laughs) Oh, my God. It's Webster. (laughs) Better say, it's Webster. Hey, hey, uh... 
Hang on, that's not Emmanuel Lewis. <laughs> no, it is in fact Gary Coleman who has been on the show before. He was back in season eight in How Green Was My Apple. And here he is again. <laughs> and instead of being confused for um, Gary Coleman or his character in different strokes, here throughout the episode he's being referred to as other similar-ish characters in other American shows. So here they confuse him for Webster, who's played by Emmanuel Lewis. And Emmanuel Lewis is an American actor, best known for playing the title character in the 80s sitcom Webster. And Webster is is a sitcom that ran on ABC from September 16th, 1983 to May 8th, 1987. And in first-run syndication from 87 to 89. The show starred Emmanuel Lewis in the title role as a young boy who, after losing his parents, is adopted by his NFL pro godfather, portrayed by Alex Karras, and his new socialite wife, played by Susan Clark. The focus was largely on how this impulsively married couple had to adjust to their new lives and sudden parenthood, but it was the congenial Webster himself that drove much of the plot. So like NBC's series Different Strokes, Webster featured a young African-American boy adopted by a wealthy white family. Yes, and they're both recently big. Um, they were both recently big here in Australia too, from what I know. I wasn't around back then, but I know both shows were on here in Australia. But more of my friends who remember them remember Different Strokes more than Webster. Yeah, I think Different Strokes is the the more well-known or well-remembered show, I should say. I know they both did show here, but I, neither have been shown for a while, I think. I think Different Strokes may have rerun, rerun a little bit a few years ago but Webster is one of those shows you just don't see anymore at least in Australia and I mentioned Alex Karras the actor in Webster and he was in Blazing Saddles he played Mongo might be where Jake's brother is named. Jake being Kelly's boyfriend back in season five. (laughs) Why should you be stuck downstairs? You're 18. You can do what you want. I mean, you don't have to use the sofa or the backseat of a car or that dirty pile of laundry you used last night with Mongo. (laughs) No! I got a brother named Mongo! You know, the guy says, I got a brother named Mongo. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I haven't seen Blazing Saddles since I was 15. I need to rewatch it, but uh, I'm sure it'll ring a bell when I do rewatch it. 
definitely rewatch it. I love Mel Brooks movies and I, I love Mel Brooks as a person, so definitely rewatch it. I recently rewatched it with the audio commentary and it's more it's really just uh, Mel Brooks talking about the film that doesn't really he does he's not commenting on the film per se, he's just talking about everything that happens in it for for a while, but it's it's a good movie. Oh cool. I haven't listened to a good audio commentary in too long. I like listening to commentaries um, when you're either familiar with the film or it's something you'd really like because you do get some insight and background on things. Yes, I'll just say one more point about commentaries. If you haven't listened to them, check out the commentaries on the Simpsons DVDs every single episode, full length. And also the South Park DVD season three onwards have commentary minis which play over the first few minutes and then you get to listen to the rest of the episode as it is. Oh, cool. I was about to say, if you weren't going to recommend The Simpsons, I would have, because uh, that's a big draw for me for getting the DVDs for The Simpsons in the first place. And uh, certainly in season one, I can think of at least one episode, the commentators mentioned Married with Children, but I can't remember the context. I suppose it was just to do with Fox at the time in 1990. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Uh, But yeah, so Webster, oh, I mean, Gary Coleman, he's got... uh, $10 $10 million for Al. What is Al going to do with all that money? He's going to live on Hooter Island. Yes. Thank you, Publishers Sweepstakes. So I suppose it's a reference to Publishers Clearinghouse, which is a direct marketing company that markets merchandise and magazine subscriptions with sweepstakes and prized-based games. PCH was founded in 1953 by Harold Mertz, no relation to Fred Mertz, <laughs> to replace door-to-door magazine subscription sales by a single vendor offering multiple subscriptions by mail. It introduced its sweepstakes in 1967, and in the early 1990s, the company was the subject of concerns and legal actions regarding whether consumers were misled about their odds of winning the sweepstakes and whether purchases increased their chances. And by 2010, the company had reached settlements with all 50 states. What's the new publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes doing over there? Fluttering my desk. Don't you know you could win two million dollars? Those contests aren't for real. That's what we used to think. But this check is real. It's just a big come on. That's what I used to think. Do you know what this side could mean to you? Millions of dollars. So stop making excuses. Enter the one and only Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. There's no place like our house. Come on, send it in. in. So PCH was a competitor to American Family Publishing that ran similar sweepstakes, and the two companies often were mistaken for each other, with Star Search host Ed McMahon and the $25,000 pyramid Dick Clark, the spokespeople for AFP, mistaken for representatives of the better-known PCH. We've heard references to Ed McMahon in the past on Married with Children. If you think back to season four in 976 Shoe, when Al gets a letter and it, and it says, Ed McMahon says I may owe him $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are the chances of it really being you? <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> Yes, of course the Bundys owe people money. <laughs> and, uh, well, Al congratulates uh, Gary Coleman, but, uh, well, he's like, oh, Urkel gave him the money. <laughs> <laughs> I love this running gag in this episode. <laughs> 
Yeah, so we've had Webster already, and now we've got Urkel uh, straight after that. So Urkel, of course, is from Family Matters, and we discussed Family Matters in at length back in, um, was it Turning Japanese? Yes, when Marcy comes in, the neighbour boy wearing suspenders. Yeah, so Urkel, of course, is played by Jaleel White. He's the he's Steve Urkel on Family Matters, and we've talked about him before. Yes, yes, another reference to his childhood show of the era. But yes, <laughs> yeah, pegs away, and uh, while the money's been awarded, so to speak, uh, Jefferson walks in noshing on a bit of pizza, and Al brags about the mo- money to him, but there's something wrong with the money. <laughs> so Jefferson may be eating pizza, but I think he won that round. Yeah, Jefferson. Yeah, Jefferson won Al zero, and uh, well, hey, Jefferson somehow knows Gary Coleman. Yeah, yeah, somehow, which is never explained, but sure. His connections to the Secret Service. Ah, there you go. Yep, it all makes sense. All right, cannibal. We know you ate those people. Now confess. I haven't eaten anyone. <laughs> I don't even like ribs. <laughs> Call my ex-wife. We did. She said she once caught you pouring chocolate syrup on her best friend. <laughs> that wasn't cannibalism, that was adultery. <laughs> Look, let me call my friend Al. He'll prove I'm innocent. Okay, so Griff's behind bars. Yeah, Griff is, um, he, he's angry. Uh, he is, he's saying, I'm not a cannibal. He, and I notice he mentions that he doesn't even like ribs. And I'm thinking, hey, ribs are amazing, Griff. Yeah, they're okay. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of ribs, but I think that's a joke about a comment on the racist stereotype that African-American people like to eat ribs. He said, once caught you pouring chocolate syrup on her best friend. And Griff explains, well, that wasn't cannibalism. That was just adultery. <laughs> Chocolates. Oh, uh, this image in my mind is like, really, Griff? Chocolate syrup on your wife? Your then wife's best friend? Yuck. Hey, don't knock it till you've tried it. <laughs> I'll have to remember that for when I get, find another girlfriend. <laughs> Again, we go back to the answering machine issue. And will you please stop erasing the messages before I hear them, you... Human futon. <laughs> you didn't get any messages. Believe me, with my eagle ears, I listen very carefully to each and every message before I erase them. Al, it's Griff. You gotta help me. I'm in. <laughs> yes, eagle ears. They're raising messages. Yeah, of course she cuts it off right before that crucial word jail. It's like, uh, Kelly, you should know who your father's friend Griff is. Besides, bud, your girlfriends can't call you here. You have to call them, and it costs $3.95 a minute. (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, anyone who's been watching Married to Children for this long knows what this is a reference to. So how much is that in today's money? <laughs> oh, I, I didn't even calculate that. I did everything else but calculate that. So, you have the US inflation calculator. So, 1996, 3.95. That's $7.05 in 2022. That's a minute. And if you convert it to dollar reduce, 
We are talking $9.66 a minute. So, yeah, if you're, if you're on the phone for, let's say, uh, 60 minutes, you'd be burning for serious money. You'd be bur- <laughs> burning well over $500 Australian. Ouch. Well, when you dial those 900 numbers, all you really care about is getting your money back for dialing the wrong number. That's right. That's right. So it doesn't show up in the phone bill. Uh, as uh, Phone bills of these sort of numbers have been discussed in previous episodes when family meetings have been involved. So Al comes in and he's just pulled the ultimate practical joke on Jefferson. <laughs> what? You sent him 20 pizzas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be stupid. He's full. <laughs> no, I put super glue on his toilet seat. <laughs> oh, what kind of moron would fall for that old gag? <laughs> my words, Al, as soon as I can sit down and think of something, you will pay! (laughs) Yeah, definitely better than the pizza joke, that's for sure. It's better than 20 pizzas. (laughs) He put super glue on his toilet seat. That's a good sight gag. (laughs) Jefferson's got a toilet seat (laughs) stuck to his ass. And notice how he actually managed to get off, rip the seat off the rest of the toilet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've got some super glue actually in my house here. Better be careful with it. Yes, be careful with that. <laughs> or you will have to rip the toilet seat off. No, thank you. <laughs> That's so. The scores are even at the moment. I, I would say it's one all. Yeah, yeah. We've had a couple of jokes each, and um, a few days later, maybe a couple of days later, we have a new scene, and again. Bud knows he has a message because this time Because I, I called myself <laughs> Well then you already have a date for tonight Oh, Bud That is real desperate <laughs> He just wanted a message <laughs> Oh it's so cute So, But that means he already has a date oh, Yeah it costs three ninety five a minute <laughs> Al comes home. Ah, home sweet help. Kids are fighting. Dogs are biting. And a good-looking babe in the kitchen cooking me dinner. Ah, home sweet hell. Oh, yes. Who said that one before? Yes, and he said that way back in season four in uh, Tooth and Consequences, one of my favorites. One of my favorites, too, actually. Yeah, and I think that's the first episode that A, I kept on tape, ever, and B, that's the first one with the the podcast team Mark II. So Alex, Jamie, and Dan, that's the first episode they reviewed. That's right. I remember listening to it all, all those many moons ago and what feels like an eternity ago due to many different reasons. Yes. <laughs> Up until this point, we've only just seen Bud and Kelly at the answering machine, and now we see Al coming through the front door. And then there's a random woman in the kitchen. Yeah, good-looking bird making him dinner. Hang on a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is she doing there? Woman cooking me dinner. Kids! (laughs) Oh, she said she's an old friend of Mom's. What the hell did you let her in for? (laughs) Al, I'm June Morgan. I ran into Peggy in Barcelona, and she told me you were all alone in Chicago. So I thought I would come by and fix you a gourmet dinner. Ooh, we tots. 
You know, Al, looking around, I can see several things that could use a woman's touch, if you know what I mean. Well, with vittles as classy as these, you can stick around and touch anything you want. Okay, I will. So her name's June, and apparently she's an old friend of Peg's from Wanker County, Wisconsin. And when you don't see it to see a close of it first, I mean, when I first saw the shot, I thought she she was making like roast potatoes as part of a Sunday dinner, but turns out they're good old weenie tots. Yeah, so she really knows Al. Yeah, it's like, how did, how did she know he liked weenie tots? Because I don't think weenie tots would have been around in the 60s, or maybe they would have, but uh, there were the, I don't think freezers were as... Oh, I fair freezers in the 60s, so the weenie tots could have existed back then. I, I, I guess Peg has told her a lot about weenie tots. Apparently she's an fr- old friend of Peg's, and uh, June, June Morgan, she's played by an actress called Deborah Harmon, and I don't know if she's going to look familiar to Major Children fans or not, but she appeared as Peggy's enemy, Mimi Stoats, way back in season two in the bowling episode, Alley of the Dolls. Oh, Peggy! Oh, hi, I didn't see you there. Oh, Mimi, that is you under that bad dye job. <laughs> oh, kids, kids, come meet an old woman. Peg? I'd like you to meet the twins, Roscoe and Frank. Gee, they don't look alike. Same father, or should I say donor? <laughs> Peg, so life hasn't been too good to you, huh? I don't work. Well, I don't work either. I don't do anything. Either do I. I have a maid. Not me. My house is a sty, and I don't care. <laughs> So she's one of those actresses who's been on the show a couple of times, playing different characters each time. Many, quite a few, several years apart though, because that was that was way back in the second season, as you mentioned. So I'm just looking at an image of her now, and uh, she looks a bit different in that episode. So Deborah Harmon, she's born in 1951, and in, and she's from Chicago, Illinois. So and she attended the Second City troupe in Chicago until she moved to LA to pursue an acting career and she's probably best remembered for her role as Elizabeth Lubbock in the ABC series Just the Ten of Us which was the spin-off from Growing Pains where she first appeared in the role for two episodes in 1998 and she was a regular on the short-lived series The Ted Night Show and Leo and Liz in Beverly Hills. She also had parts in films like Bachelor Party and Back to the Future and co-starred with Kurt Russell in Used Cars. That's a comedy from 1980. She's had quite the career and, uh, yeah, just looked up, um, like I said, I I just looked up Alley of the Dolls and, uh, yeah, I just found a still of her and she does look a bit different in um, Alley of the Dolls, but it was 1987, so... We're talking opposite ends of the series here, so some fans may not recognise her um, as the same person. Yeah, there's a few commercials of her from the early 80s uh, on YouTube. Yeah, so we're talking... Yeah, she's had about nine years in between appearances. Oh, come on, kids, don't you get it? June's not a friend of your mom's. She's all part of Jefferson's practical joke. You know, like rerunning that phony check. So you're going to call Mr. Darcy and tell him you're on to his practical joke? Nope. I'm going to beat him at his own game. Oh, you're going to 
Pretend to like Mrs. Darcy and take all her money? <laughs> no. I'm gonna let June seduce me. But first, we're gonna eat like royalty. Yeah, Winnie Tots. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Al's not falling for it. He thinks that she is all part of Jefferson's practical joke. Like rerun and that phony check. <laughs> Yes, yes, he thinks it's all part of a joke, and, uh... <laughs> oh, dear. And I will notice when he's eating his um, delicious weenie tots, he, he goes, hummer, 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 as, as we remember from season six's England show. Yes, and uh, in uh, Eating Out in season three, and I was very pleased to hear that. Hummer! Yeah, so yet another African-American character in a, in a television show uh, rerun from What's Happening. And as we found out recently, speaking to Harold Sylvester, he's had quite the career and he was in an episode of What's Happening back in the late 70s. Your letters were the only bright spot of my day. Oh, I'll get it. It's probably nobody. Hey, baby. <laughs> Look how friendly nobody is. Uh, D, this is my boyfriend, Lou. Well, how come you didn't tell us he was coming over? Well, I just didn't know how your mother would feel about me entertaining my friends here. Besides, I thought I'd be alone this morning. Yeah, and you know how it is when a boyfriend and a girlfriend haven't seen each other for a long time, huh? Yeah, I know. You can kiss, but don't get crazy. <laughs> I think we've kissed enough for the time being. Yeah. Well, hey, we better get going, Judy. It's a long way to Arizona. <laughs> Where are your things? Oh, they're upstairs. Oh, uh, Judy, that suitcase of yours is broken, but you can borrow Rogers and he won't mind. Uh, Rerun was played by Fred Berry. Uh, he was born in 1951, but he passed away in uh, 2003. And he's an American actor and also a street dancer. And he's clearly best known for the role of Fred Rerun Stubbs on the 70s television show What's Happening? Now, uh, before we go on, uh, Anna, have you seen What's Happening? I've known of it since 2008 when I uh, really started to get into old shows that weren't married with children, invites of All in the Family, but uh, like, I looked at my All in the Family DVDs and saw, oh, also available, What's Happening? But I've never actually seen a whole episode. Um, I've seen one whole episode recently because of the uh, I've seen the one I just mentioned, the one with Harold Sylvester, and they are available online. You check sites like Daily Motion. Again, it's one of those shows from that time that is not rerun, pun unintended, anymore. So, but it's one of those shows I've always known existed. Like I always heard about this show. What's happening? And they'd say, What's happening? And I knew there was a character called Rerun in it. And I don't, if it's ever been replayed here, I don't know. I don't remember it. But I have not seen more than one full episode and just a couple of little random bits. But I liked what I saw. And if it ever got rerun, rerun again, I would probably try to catch it. Because there's a lot of shows like this I never saw in the first run, obviously. But would like to see, you know? 
Oh, nice. You can get the whole series on DVD from Amazon, all three seasons, not including the revival, What's Happening Now. Just had a quick look. Uh, and I don't think it was the biggest show in Australia, because I asked Mum, and, and they said, no, I wasn't, they didn't remember it. I asked Dad if it was on in the UK. Again, didn't remember it. No, um, I think Different Strokes got more more replay attention, so to speak. Speaking of, um, I know we're talking about Gary Coleman and, and shows like this, but do you know in America what they do every so often is they'll do a live special with um, with current famous people and they'll redo or play out a, an original script from an old show. Have you seen these? Uh, yeah, I do know. I've, I've seen bits of the um, All in the Family when they did it in 2019. Um, I, was, I never saw the whole thing, partly because I was sceptical about Woody Harrelson pulling off Archie Bunker, and I thought, I'm not sure if Woody, Woody from Cheers can do Archie Bunker. I haven't actually seen that one, but I did see a clip of, I think it's Jamie Foxx, he... he it's live TV and he screwed up a line and you just went, oops, it's live. <laughs> but they do it live, which is, which is part of the fun. But they did one recently. I, I just saw it a couple of weeks ago. Um, they did an episode of Facts of Life. So that's that show again. And they did an episode of Different Strokes. And the part of um, Arnold as played by Gary Coleman originally was <laughs> in this version was played by Kevin Hart. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter if he's, you know, 45, has a beard. I mean, he's still playing the role. And he was actually pretty good because he's small, but he's not Gary Coleman small, but he's he's nothing but muscle. And um, what's his name? The, the father in Different Strokes, played by Conrad Bain. I've forgotten his name. Mr. Drummond, that's it. Yes. Mr. Drummond in the live special was played by John Lithgow. <laughs> so to see John Lithgow pick up kevin hart and carry him onto the sofa and put him on his lap and cradle him oh it, that was that was hilarious yes indeed i mean do, i wonder if we'll ever see a married to children live why not that would be interesting to see if they ever do that oh. i'd be skeptical about who they picked to be honest yeah it'd have to happen you know in 20 years from now at least because or 10 years at least because um to recreate that I think now, I mean, especially for me, it would be very cringeworthy, especially when a lot of when all the actors are still alive. But also, um, you need that real full-on nostalgia value. And if you're going to do that, people will just say, "A, how dare you? Murder Children was already pretty satirical to begin with. How can you make fun of it?" And B, why don't you just reboot Murder Children and have a revival? So that's that's the blowback they would get from that. Just have the original cast do something. That's true, especially because with, with all in the family, uh, Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton, aka Archie and Edith, have both passed away. So um, exactly, the, well, half the main cast have already gone. There wasn't that much of an issue with all in the family doing that. Yeah, I mean, they even did Facts of Life, which and they had Jennifer Aniston in it, and she's like fifty. So. Um, and she's playing Blair, who's, you know, a, a teenager. And they had um, Will Arnett and um, John Stewart come in with his grey beard, and they're all playing teenagers. So that, that's a joke in that. But because they're playing the more wholesome, for lack of a better word, 80s sitcoms and 70s sitcoms, yeah, we're going to have to wait at least 10 years for them to even attempt something on Married with Children because, yeah, I would just find it awful. <laughs> 
It's time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ, and I'm gonna play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry with Children. Now, don't you know what's the sound? Working on the shade. Yeah, yeah. That's the sound of the man. Working on the shade. Yeah. I didn't need nobody. Hey, Griff, prisoner number 994678. He looks, he's looking pretty sad in that white outfit there, isn't he? With the capture of the notorious Chicago cannibal. <laughs> Daddy, guess who's in prison? Unless it's Polly Shore, I do not care. <laughs> that, look, that look in his face. <laughs> yes, that straight jacket and that... <laughs> the crazed look. And we hear... Um, Working on a chain gang, or chain gang by uh, Sam Cook, I think it is. Uh, Kelly asks, "Guess who's in prison?" And Al says, "Unless it's Paulie Shaw, I do not care." A, yet another Paulie Shaw joke, and B, that's a reference again to someone who's been on the show. There's a lot of callbacks in this episode. So for this one, we're going all the way back to season three, in a three-job, no-income family when Al works at Burger Trick. That's right. You didn't make the noise, Bundy. Whoosh! <laughs> Whoosh! <laughs> Alright, so Al's got a plan. When June comes down here, she's going to try to seduce me. You two will be outside videotaping. <laughs> what about what about the walls, Dad? Because we can't shoot through. <laughs> But you will be videotaping. Uh, now, <laughs> Jefferson thinks that I will only go so far with June, at which point he will declare victory and tell everyone that I'm not man enough to cheat on my wife. Instead, I will go on the attack, making June back up, at which point I will declare victory and proudly tell everyone that I am man enough to cheat on my wife. Ha <laughs> ha. Now, let's go get set up. Uh, At least when I get married, I get to change my name. Yeah, this time you should try to change it to one you can spell. Bud's filmmaking skills coming back from earlier in this season. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> you got you got to film through walls. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Kelly obviously flunked media in high school. Yes. Well, she flunked lunch in high school. True. <laughs> Peggy. Honey, I just ran into June Morgan, an old rival of mine from Wanker County. She's held a grudge against me for years just because I stole her fiancé on her wedding day. Uh-oh. I've seen 15 murder she wrote that started like this. And get this. She swears she's gonna get even by stealing you away from me. Elsie? Can you believe it? I forgot to pack a dress. So there's a bit of a cunning plan here because June Morgan is obviously an old rival of Peg's. And notice how June calls Al Owsie. Owsie? 
I'm not sure if he's been called Elzy before, but um, if he's not, that's a first. Yeah, again, the answering machine gets a workout and Arjuna erases the message because she hears Peggy's message live. And I like Lucky's line here when he says, I've seen 15 murder she wrote that started like this. Because <laughs> that show went on for about 15 years. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it went on for 12 years. Uh, murder she wrote is an American crime drama TV series starring Angela Lansbury as mystery writer and amateur detective Jessica Fletcher. 12 seasons, as I mentioned, with 264 episodes between 84 and 96 on CBS. One of the most successful and longest-running TV shows in history, in its prime, it attracted more than 30 million viewers a week, sometimes hitting above 40 million, and was a staple of CBS's Sunday night lineup for a decade. Still highly successful in syndication worldwide. Yeah, and that show still is on rerun here. <laughs> yes, I've definitely seen it on the reruns. I'm pretty sure I've seen uh, my, f- my folks watching it. There is one episode, I think it's from 1984, that has David Garrison in it. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Before before he was Steve Rhodes, um, doing his you, yeah, doing what I call a typical, you know, actors before they make a big break, you know, getting any role they can. It's interesting. This show was on for twelve years, and they only did five more episodes than Married with Children did. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, June erases Peggy's message, and can you believe it? She forgot to pack a dress. I know, and, uh, oh, well, she takes off that, uh, dress and, uh, reveals a rather unattractive-looking, um, uh, black piece she's wearing. I mean, if I was, uh, say, t- 15, 20 years older, I would have found that rather turned turning me on. Yeah, you might have poured a can of champagne into your hand. <laughs> <laughs> For you, my sweet. <laughs> What's going on? Well, Dad just poured a can of champagne into his hand. Uh, I've made men do that. <laughs> I didn't realize champagne came in cans because I noticed it was called Guten, so I assumed it was meant to be German beer. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you've heard of canned champagne because <laughs> these champagne tall boys, before I saw this episode, I didn't know you could get champagne in cans. And yet, um, watching it on a big screen these days, you can see that it's called something German like that. So... Oh, maybe it's some some fine German champagne. I don't know. Yes, but I just saw Guten and I just I just assumed it was um European beer. At least British and German beer tends to come in tall cans. That is, if it's not bottled. I was at the show today, and uh, I work in theatre and I work front of house. And a lady came in asking for a glass of champagne. And I refrained from telling her that we do not have champagne because we're not in France, because she wanted proper champagne. I said, no, sorry, we just have sparkling wine. Also, we're not made of money. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, last time I had champagne, I think, was actually your wedding, which, when this airs, was over a year ago. Yeah. Speaking of weddings. I know. I've got two more coming up in October, so um, I'm hoping we'll have champagne, won't have champagne again until then. Kelly knows what it's like to cause a man to pour a can of champagne into his hand. Yes. <laughs> so June is seducing Al as Al's expected. I do like Al's line. Your arms, they're so strong. Well, I sell women's shoes. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that's about enough foreplay. Yeah, they're just snogging on the sofa there. What's happening now? 
She's got Dad's entire face in her mouth. <laughs> Ew! Oh! Oh! Nah, Bud and Kelly are pretty grossed out by what's happening. I don't blame them, especially because she's not their mum, and even if it was Al and Peggy, they would still be grossed out. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Take me, Al. Take me in the worst way. <laughs> the only way I know how. June. What? June, we, we can't do this. Why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I can't let Jefferson win. But he's hired someone so good. I have to think of something so horrible, so vile, so disgusting, she'll run screaming from the house. I know. June! June! Marry me! <laughs> you can't do it, can you? Uh, no. You're already married to Peggy. Was married. Yeah, she got a um, quickie Spanish divorce. <laughs> That's why she's in Spain. So what is your answer? Yes! Yes, I'll marry you! <laughs> of course! <laughs> Al's still convinced it's a joke from Jefferson as well. And uh, he decides to, well, prove it's a joke by asking June to marry him. And for a moment, June's taken aback, but Al explains that Peggy got a, a quickie Spanish divorce, and that's why she's in Spain. Well, there's, hang on a second. Can he even dissolve an American marriage in Spain? I don't think he can. I don't think he can. That's probably half the joke. But, um, yeah, I have not looked that up. Maybe you can, but maybe down in Mexico or Cuba you could. I don't know. Well, I'll just I'll quickly, quickly say, uh, yeah, pretty sure divorce laws by the US will be decided by state. So it's incredibly unlikely that our, uh, well, Peggy could have got a quick Spanish divorce. So, yes. June bought it, so, um, yeah, she accepts our quick proposal. Quickie divorce, quickie marriage. Today's trial of the Chicago cannibal made history. <laughs> In only eight minutes, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to die tonight. So, I don't know how, how long the story has been going, but the trial of the Chicago cannibal has, has already begun, and we've got the final of the three mug shots of Griff, and in this one, oh, I love it. His eyes are half masked, and he's wearing a sharp suit. And I did wonder if this was a, a reference to OJ's mugshot at any one point, but they didn't really match, so I think it's just the three stages of Griff the cannibal. Yes, no ma'am suit and that uh, goofy-looking white outfit. Just, just The straight just jacket, the, yeah. Yeah, the straight jacket, yes. Uh, the, yeah, the, th the three faces of Griff. So, in just eight minutes, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to die tonight. No, we don't want to lose Griff. No. And remember that, because this is a season finale, so it could happen. Yes, it could happen. Uh, yes, um, last episode of season 10, everyone. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Yes, please don't go, Griff. Please don't go. Uh, but um, so this means that Griff is notably absent from the Bundy Morgan wedding. Everybody's here but my best man. Where's Griff? Griff. Griff. Wasn't there something I was supposed to do? Ah, hell with it. 
It's not a matter of life and death. <laughs> hey, preacher man, you made it! <laughs> Are we lucky or what? Isaac from the Love Boat is also a ordained minister. And look, Free Willy is also the dork of honor. <laughs> Let's get this freak show on the road. When Al comes out of the basement wearing a suit, a tux, and it's too short for him, <laughs> is that the same suit or very similar suit to what he was wearing in season nine in 25 years and what do you get? You know, he rented a suit for $8. Yes. <laughs> uh, it looks similar. I can't, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same suit. It would not surprise me, though. So we've got um, Bob Rooney and I- Ike there. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, as the preacher, Isaac from the, from the Love Boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were you lucky or what? Isaac uh, in the Love Boat, I, he's the one who always says, you got it. And uh, he's played. He was played by Ted Lang, um, who's an American actor, director, screenwriter. He's born in 1948, and he's best known for his role as the bartender Isaac Washington in The Love Boat. And of course, a little bit of an in joke because don't forget who else was in The Love Boat? Oh. Our very own Ted McGinley as Ace. Yes. And I can't remember if I've mentioned this before, I'm sure I have, but Ted McGinley's very first episode of The Love Boat also had a guest appearance by a very young David Faustino. He would have been very young back then, especially because The Love Boat ended in, I think, 83 or 84? Uh, I think 86 or 7. Or if, oh, no, uh, sorry, Ted was on The Love Boat from 84 to 86. It ended in 86. Yeah, Faustino was in... Yeah, he was really young. He played a little boy and he was barely 10 years old. Yes. It just it just happened to be Ted McGinley's first episode. Well, they were obviously meant to work together, so thank you guys who casted The Love Boat. Incidentally, this is a, another coincidence. There's an old American show, it was called Hotel, and it was sort of like The Love Boat, but it was set in a hotel, <laughs> obviously enough. But it's one of those shows that doesn't get replayed anymore and you can buy it on DVD, I think. I think it was a nighttime soap opera type show or a drama series, but it starred James Brolin. But the interesting is um, Ted McGinley was in a couple episodes of that. And I was trying to look for them because I, I run a cast database. I need all these appearances and things. And I found one episode that he was in. Guess who else was in that same episode? Is that one we've already mentioned or not? No, but someone very close to us. All right. Let me guess. Ed O'Neill? Nope. Okay, Christina Applegate. No. Katie Chagall. No. Dang, Amanda Burse. Yes, it was. So years before Marcy and Jefferson would ever meet, they just happened to be in the same episode. Unfortunately, they didn't share any scenes together. But I, I was looking up episodes that they were both had appeared in, and then I found one, and it just happened to have both of them in it. I'm like, wait, she's in that, and then he's in these other scenes, and. And I'm talking 1983, so it's just a coincidence that, you know, actors, very prolific actors like our lovely cast, I mean, they're going to appear in a lot of things. So it's just a coincidence. I know it happens. But for someone like me, who's a married children nerd, I just find it very cool when I see two actors in the same thing. And it even goes the other way, you know, after the show is finished, when at least two Bundys or two cast members are in the same room together. And I go, 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I'm a bit like that. Whenever I see a Merida Children alumnus, like obviously um, Karen Peralta, Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, anything Christina Applegate's in, uh, I could go on. <laughs> yeah, Katie Segal needed to be in more Brooklyn Nine Nine episodes. Just saying. Just saying. Yes, yes, yes. Just saying. So, yeah, Gary Coleman refers to Bob Rooney as Free Willy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Free Willy's been mentioned before. It's a movie from 1993, so it's still popular. It's an American family drama directed by Simon Winsor. I saw Free Willy when I was a boy in video. It was too long until I've seen it in the cinemas, but I saw it in video when I was about oh, nine, I think. Uh, and I also mentioned, it's about a, this is also about a year and a half, two years too early to be a Cartman joke. So, uh, hence the Bob, because obviously the Free Willy joke's meant to be a joke of Bob Rooney being fat. So, yeah, just for to say that. We will get more Free Willy references. I can think of at least one in season 11. Yeah, I remember watching Free Willy, and then I think they did a... They made a joke about it on The Simpsons. Do you remember? It's like, jump, Willie, jump. And then they're watching it on video and then you, you don't see what happens, but you just hear, Willie didn't make it and he crushed our boy. Ugh, what a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that now. Dark humor for you. couple and holy matrimony yada 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 june blah 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 al blah 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 side of god <laughs> this is so beautiful <laughs> i want my first wedding to be just like it <laughs> june do you take al to be your lawfully wedded husband here it comes she'll never say i do I do. <laughs> she do. So, at the wedding, so we got uh, Bud, oh, just dressed terribly. The wedding march is played in kazoos, and Kelly, who wants her, no, she, no, she says first wedding, implying she was already going to get divorced or become a widow. Notice how she, uh, she looks pretty nice in that pink dress. Just want to say, notice how she goes on about how she wants her first wedding to be like this. Yes, I did like, I like that. I think if we think back to um, episodes like Blonde and Blonder, I think we're meant to assume that she's going to be at least divorced <laughs> once. Uh, you know, way back in early season nine in Driving Mr. Boondi, and she says that she has classmates who are getting alimony from two ex-husbands by now. Yes, um, uh, mm, yeah, so obviously Kelly does plan to get a divorce. I mean, that's a bit of a sadistic thing to do, plan to get divorced, Kelly. They do reuse that joke in, uh, in a season's time, but I won't spoil any further than that. So tune in for season 11 when that comes up, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jefferson has joined the wedding, but uh, he's not dressed for it, because I would assume that he would be. Yes, because, um, yeah, come on, it's, it's meant to be a joke. Blah, 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 Al, blah, 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 June, blah, 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 on the eyes of God, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, much like my wedding, yeah. So, she do. Yes, she does. Oh, and Al's getting mad, rather mad at Jefferson. 
<laughs> L. Do you tape June to be your lawfully wedded wife? <laughs> what do you want me to say, Jefferson? You want me to say you're king? I won't say it. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Admit that this is your little joke. It's not. He wants Jefferson to admit it. And Jefferson's sister is like, this is not my joke. And I believed him. I believed him too. And then Jefferson reveals what is his joke. This is my joke. I do. Peg's back. Yeah, it's Peggy. Hooray. Nice to see her come back in the um, last few minutes of the episode, uh, which reminds me of a similar thing on, um, again, going back to South Park. At the very end of season six, after being dead for a whole season, you see Kenny come back in the last few seconds of the season six finale. And the, and the boys just act like nothing happened. They just go, oh, hey, Kenny, just been hanging around? Yeah, sure. And they'll walk off home together. Huh, cute. Yeah. So yeah, this is um, Katie Seagal coming back from a lot of maternity leave. She's been gone since before Calendar Girl and did some pre-tape stuff for the next few episodes. She's been away for for probably several months and this is when she had her son and that boy is now 26 years old, Jackson James White. Yes, she has a son called Jackson, like she does in Sons of Anarchy. (laughs) I like that, Pe- uh, uh, what's his name, Bud and Kelly run over to Peg and welcome her home warmly and then go straight back to the wedding. Yes. Leaving <laughs> <laughs> Peg standing there and Al says, I do. Oh, Peggy. And the minister Coleman is like, what, who, who is this woman? <laughs> what is going on here? Well, Peg, it all started with 10 pizzas. Shut up, Al. <laughs> June Morgan. How dare you? Well, you stole my fiancé at the wanker wedding hole. Get over it. We were 12. <laughs> Peggy gives June a nice little belching, and uh, Ephraim happens to walk in looking for with um, duty-free duty? Duty? All right, here's the last of the duty-free duty. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go hitch a winch up to... Mama's girdle and twang her on out of here. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? It's Jefferson's fault. He told me I won $10 million. Yeah, well, you super glued a toilet seat to my ass. <laughs> What's a toilet seat? Al, didn't you get the message I left you on the answering machine? What's an answering machine? <laughs> no, no, nobody seems to get the messages off that answering machine. Oh, so this is all my fault then? Oh no, honey. Once again, this is your father's fault. And you know what you're gonna have to do to make this up to me, don't you, Al? Oh no, Peg! (laughs) Not upstairs! Oh no, honey. We're gonna do it standing up. Right here, in front of everyone. The promo from this episode, they did spoil the return of Peg, but they didn't say that Tim Conway would be reappearing in this episode. So Peggy has found her father. Doesn't say where, but 
It probably wasn't Spain, or might have been somewhere in Europe after that, or somewhere else around the world, because we remember back in, it was 10.13, but it's episode 12 of the season in Love Conquers Owl, which is the last time we saw Ephraim Wenker, and he was going to take a trip around the world with his travel agent. And she's, <laughs> she's already got her own maracas. Presumably he has gone around the world, or Pecky has caught up with him somewhere in Europe or somewhere else, and now she's brought him home, and he doesn't even mention anything about the trip, And but he does say it's time to hitch up a winch to Mama's girdle and twang her on out of here. We have a question. Wait. Peg's mom was in the house this whole time? And we haven't heard from her since this this season's Christmas episode. I can't believe it's butter. So she's been up there since Christmas and no one's noticed. That's a bit lazy on the writers. Yeah, it's it's the fact that it hasn't she hasn't even been mentioned is a bit odd, but maybe they just didn't want to mention her. Maybe it was a bit like the Seven character when they just wanted to get rid of her. But they had to wait until Peg came back so they could logically explain that her father can take her take her back with him. But for, for her not to be mentioned is is odd. Yes. But we, we, didn't miss, we didn't miss her. No, she had a moment, but uh, yes. I will say between Butter and this one, we, 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 her absence didn't exactly impede the show. No. And notice how Ephraim um, doesn't know what a toilet seat or answering machine are. <laughs> I, was, I thought to myself, is he from like 1950s Yorkshire? Sounds like he's living, like say, where my dad's parents were from back in the 50s, where toilets were outdoors and uh, answering machines hadn't even been invented. Hmm. You know who he reminds me of in this scene especially? Yeah. Is Tennessee Ernie Ford. Oh, yes. And I don't know. Do you, do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, definitely. I've got a few of his songs on my computer. I say that because we know him um, through this podcast with uh, 16 tons and what do you get? But he played a character in I Love Lucy. He was Cousin Ernie. So using his own name and he played Cousin Ernie, but he's very backward from a very... um, He's in a couple of episodes, but he comes to visit Lucy and Ricky, and he's and he asks Ricky really uh, quietly. He clearly asks where the toilet is or where the bathroom is. And Cousin Ernie goes, you mean it's in the house? <laughs> <laughs> so that's just who he reminded me of there. I haven't seen that, but yes, I can t- I can see um, Ford playing that part very well. Oh yeah, he does play it really well. And, and it's actually a pretty funny episode because I think his character is from Bent Fork. <laughs> He's tr- they, they give him a, a cot to sleep on, but it's folded up. And there's a funny scene where he takes it as, as he's like, he's happy to sleep wherever. And Ricky says, Lucy, come get this. And they see it's a great sight gag because Tennessee and er- oh, Cousin Ernie has, is asleep on this cot, but he hasn't unfolded it. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely worth looking up those particular episodes that he's in. Yes. They're good value. Adds to to watch list. Do you know what Al's going to have to do to make this up to Peg? Oh, I think I know what Al needs to do. After saying no um, to the I do um, at least 39 times, uh, Al needs to do it standing up. Right there in front of everybody. For the 37th time, Bundy, do you take this woman to be your wife? (laughs) For the 37th, 8th and ninth times, no, no, no. Come on, Al. It's not like we're really getting married. We're just renewing our vows. 
Besides, Dad's got you covered. <laughs> Just like old times, eh? <laughs> Only this time, the, the gun is loaded. <laughs> and so am I. Well, Bundy. I'm not saying it. The drunken old hillbilly's gonna have to kill me before I say it again. Say what? I do. Gotcha. Yeah, just like old times, eh? Just like old times. And uh, notice how June is out on the sofa laying atop of the no, no man lads. Yes, I did like that. It's just, you don't really notice it at first, but she, Peggy's just knocked her cold and she's just lying out, sprawled across all the guys on the couch. Yes, I mean, I've never been knocked out in my life, thankfully. Not even when I was badly belted. Even that didn't knock me out. But uh, hopefully you haven't either. No, I can't say I have. I mean, um, oh. yeah, you're a pretty resilient person, so I don't disbelieve you when you say you haven't. Yeah, just to say, what happened to me, even that did, could knock me out. Mm. So... Al and Peg are renewing their vows. Yeah, it's a nice thing, Al. The drunken hillbilly is going to have to kill Al before he says it again. <laughs> yeah. Will Al live? Find out next season on Married to Children. But just before we say goodbye to this season for good, we've got a little bit which, thankfully, thank you, Anna, which is on YouTube. Um, and I remember watching this on my pirated copy way back in 2008, which was taped off TV. Griff in an electric chair. Hey, I know what this is. It's a practical joke because I've been a no man one whole year. Any minute now, you're going to rip that hood off and say, gotcha. You bet I am. If you've got a version of this episode which just has a still image of Griff in the electric chair looking worried and with the music playing over the end credits, or that crappy music or even Love and Marriage, that's not the original end credits. So you can find it on YouTube, but there is a whole scene with Griff and the executioner. Remember in the cast list at the beginning I mentioned Bert L. Cook plays the executioner and he's got one line. But Griff is, you know, certain that the guys are going to rescue him before he gets fried. Do they even have electric chair capital punishment in Illinois? Let me just double check that. I'm glad you asked that. I think it's lethal injection, or at least was back then, but you might want to check that, yeah. Okay, well, capital punishment hasn't even been used in Illinois since 2011, but uh, so at the time, in 1996, capital punishment was a thing, so they used hanging until 1928... It got struck down in 1972, reinstated in 74, voided in 75, reinstated in 77, and uh, so electric chairs were operational between 1977 and uh, 2011, but um, lethal injection was the primary method from 1983. Okay, so either. Bert L. Cook is a a production staff member on Married with Children, so it's just one of the staff coming in for a, a small role. You'll see him again briefly in Kelly's Got a Habit, season 11. So yeah, that's how the episode and the season ends, with Griff in the electric chair and Al and Peg back together. 
And the Griff storyline will be uh, resolved at the beginning of season 11. Yes, find out the answer. Marsha can dig with the Simpsons between 95 and the 95, 96 and 96, 97 seasons. Or, no, no, wait, it was 94, 95, 95, 96. Uh, tune in for the 96, 97 season of Married to Children to find out what happens to Griff. Uh, I know I will. Shoo betcha. There's a little behind-the-scenes clip that I've got from Entertainment Tonight that was taken around, was taken at this time when Peg came back to Married to Children and to promote the series finale. And in that little clip from Entertainment Tonight, there's a couple of outtakes from this wedding scene. This is when Alan Pegg are renewing their vows. And as a treat to you listeners, I'm gonna play those now. Welcome back, Katie Segal is Peggy, everybody. Katie returned just in time to tape the season finale. Ed O'Neill seemed a little flustered and a scene where the Bundys renew their vows with Minister Gary Coleman took several takes. Do you take this woman to be your wife? For the third... <laughs> For the 37th? <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. Not say what? I do. <laughs> it's great to be back, though. I love these people. It feels like I never left. No, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. All right, Matt. So how many practical jokes are you going to pull on this episode for this episode? (laughs) All right. So, uh, Annabelle, uh, I will be performing three and a half practical jokes. I'm not sure that's going to work. Uh, I don't know. I could order, see, 20 pizzas to you, put um, glue in the t- toilet seat to my best mate's house, uh, put a CD shredder uh, to her best friend Luke, if you listen to this. Uh, that one's for you. In one of my friends' cars. And half a joke, half a joke. I'm sure I'll think of the other half a joke at some point. Uh, so, this is a season closer. So, I was tossing up between three and three and a half, but... It seems like they got the energy levels right up for this final episode, especially with the Alan Jefferson practical joke war. I like that touch. The, the using the three different mugshots of Griff, uh, having uh, Al, you know, absolutely fall for the fall for a practical joke that's not a joke, namely June. So this and well, Kelly's outfit at the end again, another nice touch. Uh, the little things you notice in this episode, such as where you you notice June knocked down the sofa after Peggy belts her. So it's just all the little things add up for me here. Just a nice season closer, the cliffhanger ending too. But make sure you're here for season eleven. I know I will be. Yeah, so this is the little, little things that add up for me for this episode. Uh, even a very minor continuity error, which is a nice, nice mirror to children. So, uh, yeah, just a nice closer. Definitely not, not the best season closer, but uh, I won't, I'm not going to spoil it, but definitely better than season 11's closer. But I will say, a nice way to wrap up the season. That's me. Very good, very good. 
nicely summarised. Like yourself, I went back and forth between two scores, and I think I will also give it three and a half practical jokes. I was almost going to go to four, but I think I'll stick with three and a half, and that's a solid score for season 10, and I think this is a solid episode for season 10, and it's a good finale for season 10, if that makes sense. So, yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, I'm not usually the biggest fan of the No Man heavy episodes, but I actually really like this one. The story, the, the Chicago cannibal makes me a bit worried, but um, I like the story of, as you say, the three faces of Griff. So the stage from, you know, innocence to crazy to being sentenced for to death, basically. Um, I like that running gag through the episode. I also like the running gag through the episode of Gary Coleman being mistaken for other characters similar to his from other TV shows, you know, Webster, Urkel, Rerun, and Isaac. So that cracked me up. Yeah, um, you said Al was, had, and the guys had a lot of energy, especially Al. Um, in the little behind-the-scenes clip I mentioned, he fluffs his lines a couple of times in the that he seemed a little flustered. That could explain, like, Al is very giggly, very laughy in this episode, uh, and he's very happy and up, except when he doesn't need to be. So I feel like his mood has been lifted by the return of his TV wife. I could be reading more into that than I need to be, but, um, you know, I love Alan Pegg so much that I'm just going to read into it if I, I want to. And that's a real plus for this episode, to have Alan Pegg back together after so many episodes apart. Downside to this episode is there's no Marcy. And there's no mention at all why she wouldn't even be at the wedding. So we assume she's away on like some banking conference or something. But that being said, Amanda Burst is directing this episode. And it is well directed and she clearly does a good job. But I did miss Marcy in that end scene. I mean, I know she's not needed, but with Jefferson featuring so heavily in this episode as well, I did wonder where Marcy was at the end. That said, it's nice to see Alan Jefferson, they're sort of doing a two-hander, well, not really, but like it's an Alan Jefferson, yeah, literally a duel between those two guys um, throughout the episode, and they both have some great moments, and it's nice to see Jefferson getting used outside of No Man as well. Yeah, it's also nice to see Kelly's hair back to normal. Um, the la- this episode and the previous episode, Christine Applegate has stopped wearing the wig, so sh- and she's gone back blonde. So Kelly's hair is back to its natural state. Her and Bud's outfits were very cute in the wedding. Um, Bud is supposed to look ridiculous, and he does. And But Kelly looks super cute in that little... I mean, they're both dressed like children, like little children. And they both look adorable, but Bud looks ridiculous, but Kelly looks genuinely cute. I did like that. There's a lot of callbacks in this episode, as I said. Even Al saying, home sweet hell. So... A lot of jokes I did like in this. I don't hate the episode at all. Uh, It's nice to see um, Tim Conway again and have his storyline wrapped up for the season. Even though we're meant to believe that Peg's mother has been in the house all this time, I have no idea. Maybe she's just been quiet. Since the Butter episode, maybe she's just kept low profile. So she's being plucked from this episode for this season. She will get mentioned again in season 11, but I'm very glad she has not outstayed her welcome like a certain little snot-nosed brat from season 7. So... Yeah. Yes. So uh, she's gone. It's just... That was just clearly just a story for this season and also for a reason for Peg to be away and to chase her father around. And there's no real... It's uh, his storyline. It's wrapped up, but not very well. But 
her parents are, are now gone and so we won't see them again and that's fine honestly i don't care yeah, so a lot to like in this episode. A lot of things I, 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 I'm sort of confused about or, or um, not very fond of. Um, I'm not the greatest fan of practical jokes, but in this episode they're quite harmless, so it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't like the jokes where people are scared to death or scared that something horrible is wrong. I mean, like, it's just a pet peeve of mine. If someone accuses me of lying and I'm telling the truth, I really hate that. So I like that it's just, you know, stupid fun and it's silly things and... Yeah, a lot of callbacks, as I say, to this episode. Even the answering machine thing was fine, even though we, we never see it again. So maybe maybe Bud got rid of it. And so, yeah, other than the absence of Marcy, I have no real problems with this episode because I'm very pleased that they brought Peg back for the finale. And yeah, there was, um, that was a good excuse to get a, a few behind-the-scenes clips as well. So, as I said, a good finale for Season 10. And I agree with you, Matt, when you said it's better than the season finale of season 11 slash the whole entire series even if we talk about the two finales you know there's the one that aired after the finale that was actually filmed and also the the wedding in season 11 which was the the intended finale so there is a wedding in that episode too but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it so yeah 3.5 i could be a good give it a four if i was feeling generous but you know it's season 10 it's it's i haven't been too fond of the last couple of episodes except for a few exceptions here and there but season 10 is we'll get into that next week when we do the wrap-up show um but season 10 has been very uneven for me but i do like this episode so a solid three and a half if you can call a half a joke solid very well said, Anna. Very well said. Uh, just want to say uh, quickly, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of practical jokes myself. I haven't had too many played on me. The last I'm trying to think of any that have been played on me, really, and I haven't really been a victim of many, but two come to mind. Uh, the idiot boys, as I refer to them, um, we were setting off stink bombs in the common room where friends and I hung out, and we all helped each other with it, get our bags out. And also, uh, another time in IT class, again, the same group of guys, let off stink bombs, the teacher let us go outside for the rest of the lesson, both in year 12. And also in year 10, uh, one of my, wasn't quite friends with him at the time, but he would become friends with him later on, we're walking home from school, and he's like, Matt, wait there at the corner, and uh, so I did. Not knowing there was this jog, jog jumped up. This, I was 15 at the time, and I wasn't the best of dogs back then. I got really frightened. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, like I said, I don't like jokes where people are frightened or it's, it's just cruel. Okay, so that is it for season 10. And thank you all for joining us from this crazy ride of a season. We will see you next week for the Season 10 wrap-up show. Uh, we will talk all about our favourite episodes and what we liked, what we disliked, and we'll talk about our favourite babes, and there's quite a few of them in this season. Oh, there are. That's going to be hard for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss next week. Um, I can't tell you who's going to be on it. It'll be myself, probably, and uh, hopefully as many of the guys as, as we can. And after that, we'll then get on to the final season of Married with Children in season 11 and we'll find out exactly just what happened to Griff so you do not want to miss that people you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss a wrap-up show and you don't want to miss what happened to our dear friend Griff Whoa.